Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I hope you had an enjoyable Memorial Day weekend. It was, of course, Memorial Day like none other. And I know people were out and about enjoying the great weather and cooking out and and maybe seeing friends and starting to get out and begin to live their lives again. Hope you had an opportunity, though, to continue to remember why we, we have Memorial Day, and that is to recognize the people who have gone before us, who made the ultimate sacrifice so we can enjoy all the different freedoms that we have. And um, I know it's particularly tough for a number of folks to not be able to participate in the Memorial Day parades and not be able to participate in some of the large ceremonies and events that are typically held at area cemeteries and the like. But we, we will, in fact, get through this. Hey, some good news on the economic front. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, if you're counting, up 662 points today. It's over 25,000. Now, when the whole coronavirus thing struck this country, uh, the Dow Jones was over 29,000. And so it's taken a precipitous fall. But it was down you know, around 20,000. Now it's, it's gotten about half of that back today again a huge day at least so far on wall street who knows what's going to happen in the next three hours but what's driving it is two things first of all again um positive reports on the development of a coronavirus vaccine which at the end of the day is our pathway out of this problem secondly um more and more economies across the world and more and more economies across various states are starting to open up again. And um, I think there's a lot of positive reaction to that. So the Dow Jones responding very, very favorably to that. We'll continue to watch it as the course of the afternoon. All right. In Milwaukee over the weekend. Well, I, I guess some people still haven't gotten the idea of kind of stay at home and stay out of trouble message that the mayor and the governor continues to preach. Nine shootings in Milwaukee on Saturday and Sunday. One dead, 12 people injured. Victims ranged in age from 16 to 37. Um, all victims in the first eight shootings um, were expected to survive. That's that's a good sort of thing. Police are not announcing any arrests from the weekend shootings as of today. Well, I, I hope they have made arrests. You would think that even in the city of Milwaukee, it would be almost impossible to have that many people shot at various events and not have anybody taken into custody. The director of the city's Office of Violence Prevention said that as of Thursday, so this is before all these shootings over the weekend, Milwaukee has seen a 25% increase in non-fatal shootings so far this year compared to the same time last year, and homicides are up by 70%. So, uh, again, if at least some residents of the city of Milwaukee were supposed to be listening to the mayor and health officials saying, like, like say it, it's safer at home, well, n- not 
necessarily, apparently. And again, one of the things I've always said when we talk about this is homicides are, 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 are a bad lead, are not necessarily the best indicator of violence because anytime there is a shooting, it, it can turn into a homicide. And most of the times when somebody is shot, the difference between it being, well, just somebody's injured because of the shooting or somebody's dead, many times it's just a question of bad aim or dumb luck or, you know, a tribute to emergency medicine, etc. So when it comes to violence, I always look at the number of shootings that you have and the number of shootings up dramatically in the city of Milwaukee. Not a good thing. All right. Now, think back to what you did over the course of the last couple days. My guess is... For most people, you got out and about perhaps a little bit more. On on Friday night, we went, we picked up some takeout food, and then we went over and had dinner with some close friends of ours. We we didn't go to the restaurant, but we picked up food from the restaurant, and then, yes, we went over to their house, and we sat around their kitchen table, and and we we had dinner. On Saturday... We were invited over to some friends of ours, another couple of good friends, and we went over there, and uh, they, they cooked dinner. So we had dinner yesterday. Um, I On Sunday, had an opportunity to go out with some friends hadn't seen for a while. We played golf, came home after that, and yesterday I had a chance to go out and play some golf as well, ate at home. So I, I haven't been hitting the restaurants. I haven't been hitting the bar scene. Um, as a general rule, I, I haven't been in a lot of these places that are reopening, but I know a lot of people have because I was driving around going to these different places. I, I, I definitely saw more car traffic out there, and I definitely saw more people out and about. And I passed a couple places where there were outdoor dining areas and patios and things of the like, and I saw people sitting there. Now, I didn't see any of these examples like from the Lake of the Ozarks where you have you know hundreds of people crammed in and around a swimming pool. But I saw people behaving what, in my opinion, was responsibly out and and about. Now, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, you did not necessarily have that opportunity because unlike most of the state, the city of Milwaukee, through the mayor, continued the, the, the clampdown, continued to not allow places to open up. So there's an interesting story in the paper over the weekend about how all the, these bar owners who happen to have their places geographically in the city of Milwaukee would sit and say, okay, well, well two blocks over, there's, there's a restaurant or there's a bar in West Dallas, and, and, and they're open, and people are going in there, and, and I, thanks to Mayor Tom Barrett, I have to be closed. I'm, I'm not allowed to open up. And the, the headline in the Journal Sentinel is, Death Sentences to Businesses Based Off an Address. Milwaukee bars forced to stay shut as neighbors reopen. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, we, we all know what happened over the weekend. We have our own experiences. Most of the state allowed businesses to reopen with certain conditions. The city of Milwaukee, Racine to an extent, and Dane County continued with very, very strict crackdowns. My question is, is it time to start lifting those as well to allow, I don't know, people who run businesses in Milwaukee to perhaps play by the same rules as people who run businesses in Grafton or West Dallas or South Milwaukee or any of the other communities around here? Do we still need these very, very heavy lockdowns in place? And 
the longer they go on, are people going to even pay attention to them? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I am now at a point where I think we need to say to some of our officials, let our people free. Back with your calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Before we go to the phones, a couple texts here. Jeff, the sanction should have been lifted when everybody else was. I hope people in Milwaukee, Dane, and Racine County remember that when voting time comes around. Jeff, it looks like most people this weekend generally weren't concerned with being part of large public gatherings. Hopefully there'll be no spike and we can con- continue to enjoy the summer, uh, though unfortunately with far fewer activities than usual. Well, I'm not sure I, I, I agree with that. I don't I, – I, yes, I mean, I understand that you, you could – Again, you, you look at the stuff that gets dramatized in the major mainstream media, and, and there's a whole bunch of people piling into a couple beaches on the East Coast or to some of these swimming pools in the Lake of the Ozarks. What, again, I, I saw, and, and believe me, that's what the media is looking for. They're looking for these huge gatherings. Now, again, just based on driving around and, and talking to different people, I, I didn't see these huge gatherings around here. Now, I'm not saying that they might not necessarily have been there, but generally, I, I think people are reluctant to go into the large sorts of groups, but at the same time, they're, they're ready to start getting out, and just like two months ago, they didn't have problems standing in a line of 500 people to get into a Walmart, they recognize that there's probably no real increased risk to sitting out on, on a patio with 30 or 40 percent occupancy. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Paul in Shorewood. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. Hi, Paul. What did you see hey. over the weekend? Well, as the owner of um, Camp Bar, we have two locations oh. that are, obviously, we have one in Shorewood and one in Wauwatosa right. that we're both open. And then we have our locations downtown, which we're not. Um, but what I found was, you know, I was very, um, I didn't know what was going to happen, obviously, how the public would respond. But um, we had a great turnout. People were very respectful. Uh, they're respecting each other's difference or uh, distances, excuse me. Um, and I think overall, people are, are really feeling comfortable going out, and especially if you do it the right way. I mean, we woke up today to a lot of really great responses from the community via Facebook, like, thanks for doing a great job. We thought you did a great job with the spacing and the sanitizing and the cleaning and, and all that stuff. So I think as long as you're doing a good job as a business owner and you're showing the public that you care, which we are, and following these guidelines, there's no reason for people not to have some sort of normalcy. Well, Paul, it's I, I've been in your place in, in Shorewood. Uh, it's just a great yeah. bar. Tell me what you did differently, um, what you did differently this weekend than you would have, say, at the same time a year ago. I mean, what, what changes did you make? Well, first of all, we, you know, we, we've been reviewing the guidelines over the last couple months as they continue to change. And what we did in Shorewood is we took about took out about 40% of our seats so we could allow for um, adequate distance, distancing between the tables. Um, when you walk in, we had a greeter, which we've, we have not done in the past. That greeter would, um, you know, provide you hand sanitizer and then ask, would you like to sit inside? Would you like to sit outside? And that would take you to your table, you know, and then basically explain the protocols of, of how things are a little bit different. But for me... I really wanted customers to feel like it was a normal camp experience, even though it wasn't. Right. 
it was important for me to have that like genuine experience. So um, although our staff was in mass and, you know, following all the regulations, I felt like our patrons really felt like they were at their local tavern, their local bar and hangout. And um, it was really great to see people out. It, it made me very happy. So, Well, Paul, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. See, and, and that's kind of the experience as I was going around. And, and again, I, I understand you're always going to find what I think is the outlier, the the. And it, it probably tends more to be with younger people who think that they're invincible and all that type of stuff and who are going to flock to the outdoor area. But I think in, in general, people are, are really careful about that. And I, I will tell you, even though I'm somebody who firmly believes in, in opening things up, and even though I, I firmly believe that there's just – I'm a do-the-numbers guy. And, and, again, there's 5.8 million people in the state of Wisconsin and 16,000 positive COVID tests. It's not like statistically you have a great chance of catching this, especially – Especially if you are careful, and, and that's one of the things I think you know most people can be trusted to be be careful with. And I think a lot of business owners, and Paul epitomizes that, are saying, "Look, we we, we don't want people getting sick at our place. I mean, that, that's the last thing that we want to do. We want people to come to our business and have a great experience. And so, you know, what we're going to do is we are going to do that. We're going to space stuff out." We're going to limit the capacities, and we're going to, especially now with it getting nicer, I think it becomes a little bit easier because you have that option of, of the outdoor dining. At least you have the option of the outdoor dining if you're anywhere other than the city of Milwaukee. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Hi, Mark. What do you think? Well, my thought is this. Uh, we've got elected officials in place for a reason, and uh that's that's why we put them there. We need to defer to them for decisions like this, no matter how much your your Bob or Joe calls and says, well, I want things to go back to normal. Well, they'll go back to normal as soon as they decide that it's okay for everything to go back to normal. That's why it's not a decision that's left up to you or me or whoever wants well, to, wait, wait, to throw wait, the two wait, cents so, in. But, but, but we, but we, what, wait, we, we don't, if, if Tony Evers decides he wants to do one thing, and a lot of people think that that doesn't make any sense. We, we don't have the right to say that decision doesn't make any sense. I mean, we're just supposed to. I mean, I, well, I understand people can, have the authority uh, to do stuff, but we don't have we don't we don't just have to blindly obey and not criticize and not comment on decisions, do we? No, of course not. Everybody certainly has has their say. I mean, you've got a, a wonderful talk show that I listen to all the time, and and you tell people how you think about stuff all the time. But at the end of the day. Nobody says, well, you know what, this is Jeff Wagner's decision. He's got to decide when we got to open up. No, that's why we elected people. And, of course, you know, if everybody disagrees with the elected decision, then, you know, at the end of the day, you vote them out when their term is up. But uh, when, it, when it comes to something like that, I mean, we, we just have so many people that are just ready to, to jump back to normal and everything's okay. But I guarantee you, if they had opened up the city sooner than they should have and people got sick, the same people that are calling for everything to open back up would be harping on them saying, oh, you opened it up too early, now everybody's getting sick. I guess what I'm saying is at the end of the day, everybody loves to blame the, the mayor, the elected officials, but they're doing what they have to do to keep people safe, and that's the bottom well, okay. line. 
Well, no, Mark. Thanks. That, that's. That, I guess. See, thanks for the call, Mark. But see, that's that's where I guess we're going to to disagree. The question becomes, how do you measure the the balancing? And, and look, and I, I think people are making decisions in good faith. I don't think there's any sort of bad faith here. But let's run through the numbers. Let's look at what has happened over the course of the last two months. There are over half a million Wisconsin residents who have lost their jobs. And a good portion of those jobs aren't coming back. The economic devastation that we have caused as a result of this is going to be playing out for months, maybe years. Okay, so that's on the one hand. Then you have, again, you have the public safety measure. And keep in mind, remember at the beginning, we, we were we pe- people were using these models and all of these people are going to be dying and, and you're going to have this huge splurge. And, and maybe, you know, who knows? We, we don't know whether the mod- models were flawed or whether, and, and maybe you really would have had the apocalypse, or whether, you know, maybe, or maybe safety, it, it, the safer at home thing substantially reduced it, or, or whether, you know, simply by telling people, okay, you got to be smart, you got to maintain these distances, you, you can't go into these large groups. We, we don't know exactly how that would have worked out. But I do think it is fair to look at elected officials and say, look, you've got to do this balancing thing. And, and let's face it, we have the governor. And we've had the mayor of Milwaukee who are very, very, okay, we, we've got to have this absolute safety. and We've got to set up these metrics that, you know, are, are going to continue to change and change. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, if Tony Evers could have extended that safer HUD home order through at least the middle of June, I don't think there's any question he would have done it, just like other Democrat governors have done across the country. And again, you have this whole economic loss. So then you get the balancing. You got, all right, you got 15 or 16,000 people who've come out with the virus. 500 have died. That is unfortunate. It is unacceptable. No question about it. But, you know, percentage wise, you compare that to the half a million plus people who've lost their jobs and you try to figure out where the balancing is. And moving forward, how do we balance that risk out? All I'm saying is this weekend, I I think if you look in general, you see how we are ready to start reopening this state. And I think in general, most people are behaving responsibly. That's my point. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Now, I understand that there are some people who absolutely love it when when President Trump takes to Twitter to, I don't know, say what is ever on his mind, to rip into some of his opponents, to rip into people who at one time were friends but now have become opponents. And, and, And I know there's that attitude out there. It's like red meat. Did you see what Trump sent out on this tweet or that tweet or or whatever? I personally have believed that 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 is not helpful as a general rule. The, his use of Twitter, yes, I understand it reinforces some of the people that are his base. But the truth of the matter is, you know, the, the base isn't enough to get him reelected. It, it's just not. And unlike other presidents, for example, Ronald Reagan being one and uh, George Bush being another who expanded their bases, expanded from their bases when they ran for re-election. I, I don't, at least if you believe polls, and I understand people, there's some people who are skeptical about that, you, you see very little to indicate that President Trump has broadened his base 
which means, okay, next time he's not running against Hillary Clinton, who was disliked in large parts of the country. You know, he's going to be the one that people are focused on. And he really, again, if you haven't broadened the base, it's a much more difficult map to to reelection. But in any event, he continues to take to Twitter, and he's not going to change. I, I understand that. But even having said that, there are some things that just go beyond the pale. And one of the things that the president has been doing lately, I I think he deserves all the criticism he is getting for it. Now, let's kind of back up. Um, President Trump used to be a huge fan of, of Joe Scarborough. Joe Scarborough is the guy that runs the Morning Joe show on on MSNBC. And and Trump used to appear on there all the time. And then um, Scarborough broke bad on Trump, and Trump then responded in in kind. Scarborough is a former Republican congressman who's now, you know, making a career in the media. And and so um, he's very critical that is Scarborough of President Trump, and President Trump, you know, responds accordingly. This, you know, okay, the show's low rated, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. But lately, we've kind of crossed over into a a different area. Now, again, Joe Scarborough was a Republican congressman from Florida. What happened in 2001, he had announced that he was was leaving Congress. You know, he was going to go pursue a a different career. Wasn't running for for re-election. Now, Congress people have staffs. They have staffs that are in Washington, D.C., and then they have congressional offices back in their congressional district, okay? Well, what happens is it's fall of 2001, and in one of his local offices, he has this 28-year-old woman who's working for him, and um, her name is Lori K. Klaus. Klausutis, as I think I would pronounce it. She, she's, six, she's 28 years old, and, and she's working in, in the office. She, she's kind of by herself. They're winding down because he's not running for re-election. What happens is a couple constituents walk into this local office in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and they find this 28-year-old girl dead. Um, so what happens is the authority, they, they call 911. The authorities come in. What What they determined had happened is... This 28-year-old gal had had heart problems, and what they think happened is um, she had a seizure or something. She passed out in the office, and and she fell, hit her head on the the desk, and ended up dying of a subdural hematoma. there's There's no evidence that it's suicide. There's no evidence that there's foul play. It was just one of these sad, tragic things that happen. You have a 28-year-old girl that has, again, a, a, a health underlying health issue. She apparently had something happen, fell, hit her head, boom, that, that's it. Okay, So that's, that's what the medical examiners are determined. And again, this is back in 2001. Well, President Trump, because he doesn't like Joe Scarborough, has been fixated on the death of this woman 20 years ago who worked for him. He, he wasn't anywhere close. He, he's 900 miles away in Washington, D.C. I mean, okay, this is one of your employees who, who's died, and he's been sending out tweets. For example, here's the latest one on Sunday. A lot of interest in this story about Psycho Joe Scarborough. So a young marathon runner just happened to faint in his office, hit her head on his desk, and die. 
I would think there's a lot more to this story than that. An affair? What about the so-called investigators? Um, the day before, he says he sends out a tweet saying that this top case is now a big topic of discussion in Florida. Keep digging. Use forensic geniuses. Did he get away with murder? Some people think so. And at this point in time, the, the family, surviving family member of this girl, they're, they're now going to Twitter, and they're saying, you gotta, you got to block him off of Twitter. This is, this is too much. You can't be doing this. And I, I doubt Twitter is going to take the president of the United States off. But I, I look at something like this, and, and again, I, I understand that President Trump is very divisive, and I understand the people who love him love everything he does, and the people who hate him they just hate everything he does. I get that. But there should be some things that we can all agree on, and I guess th- this is one of them. I have watched this, and I've just been appalled by, by the whole thing. Attacking Joe Scarborough, now again, if you're the president of the United States, my reaction would be, who gives a rat's rump what you know a, a, an MSNB talk, NS, MSNBC talk show host thinks of you? Who cares? You know, it, it, it just doesn't matter. Why, why get into these fights with somebody who really you know, it, is not going to move the dial and affect you one way or the other? But, okay, that's not the president's modus operandi. The president has to respond to every slight and, and that, that he feels he gets, and that's what he wants to do. And that's fine. I guess if, if you decide you want to take on Joe Scarborough and talk about him being low-rated, that, that's fine. But even in the world of politics, it seems to me there's some lines that you just don't cross. And Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, this is just one of them. And I guess it, it almost, I look at this stuff and it's almost cruel because it's not, it's not really Joe Scarborough that gets affected by this. But it, it's a family of this girl. I mean, imagine, imagine if this was your child who, you know, dies of a heart ailment, and that's what this was, who, you know, is working, she's 28 years old, she has the seizure, heart ailment, hits her head, she's dead. All right, and then 20 years later, you have the President of the United States who, in an effort to try to attack um, one of uh, a, a media commentator, he's bringing this up and suggesting maybe your daughter was murdered, maybe your daughter was involved in an affair. That's kind of stuff that that just isn't true, and everybody knows it's not true. It's just kind of beyond cruel. And again, regardless of how you feel about the president and his tweets, and I've been one of these people who've said, boy, I, I think. He'd be a lot better off if somebody just took away his phone and stopped him from doing this tweeting. All right, well, I get I get that that's not going to happen. But there are lines that you do not cross. I think Joe Scarborough is fair game if the president or other people want to attack him. But my goodness, to bring up the death of this 28-year-old woman from 20 years ago and to try to suggest that Scarborough could have been the murderer or there could have been an affair or all this stuff, when none of that is true, really is just completely and totally inexcusable. And I would hope that people of goodwill on the right and the left and the middle could agree that there are some lines you just don't cross, and this is one where the president has crossed it. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know about you, but I don't think I want this guy sticking his fingers in my mouth. 
Let me back into this this story. I, 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 my dent. My mom used to be the office manager, dental office, and so my my dentist started decades ago. And he's, you know, I, I've Paul's been my dentist for years and years and years. And it's interesting because you know he's he's now you know early 60s and he I, I was saying do you, you know you think about retiring and he said you know I, I just love this I, I love my job I get excited about this he said it, it's just it's just never it's never old which is what I want to hear from a, a dentist who's about ready to fill a tooth or to, to do a crown for me or something I I don't want somebody saying oh this is just boring I'm just I've had it. I, you know how many of these I've done you know I know I, I want somebody who's excited about it which brings me to this story the headline in the journal Sentinel former dental student sues Marquette after he failed to achieve professional degree. According to the lawsuit, this guy who's from Colorado began researching dental schools in 2016 and after a visit to Marquette that fall accepted an offer of early admission for the class. He says he was sold on the low faculty to student ratio, high graduation and board exam passage rates and the early use of clinic style training and simulation labs. After enrolling, he claims that he didn't there weren't as many labs available as he thought. That's the period when he began trying to pass a national board exam. Now, to get to be a licensed to be a dentist, you have to pass this national board exam. I, I checked before doing this topic. Ninety percent of ninety percent of students who have graduated from an accredited dental school pass this exam on the first occasion. Okay, so keep that in mind. Ninety percent pass it the first time if you graduate from an accredited dental institution. Okay, so he, he says he began trying to pass the exam. He scored two points below passing in September of 2018. He took it the following March. He fell one point short of passing. Um, again, 90% passed the first time. He has now failed it twice. He said he sought help in preparing for his third attempt and was advised to take a commercial prep class. In 2019, July, he took the exam a third time and again failed by one point. He was then suspended per dental school policy. With the help of a lawyer, he was granted accommodations from the licensing board. Okay, so they're going to give him accommodations. Um, accommodations, he says, Marquette failed to help him obtain on his first three tries. Okay, so, but the, he's now got accommodations because apparently he's got issues with um, da, 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 an anxiety disorder. An anxiety disorder. Okay, so he takes it a fourth time with accommodations. That's in December. He failed again. So he's now failed the test four times. Did I mention Did I mention that uh, 90% of graduates from accredited dental schools pass it the first time? He's now failed it four times. And he is now suing Marquette, accusing the school of acting in bad faith and in violation of Wisconsin's deceptive and unfair trade practices law and the National Rehabilitation Act. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, I, I guess I, I, I don't know what accommodations were made for the guy or, or not. But at the same time, 90% of all people who take this test the first time pass it, if you graduated from an accredited dental school. He failed four times. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you want this guy to be a dentist? 
I mean, I, 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 at, at some point in time, maybe you got to recognize that for, for whatever's going on here, maybe this isn't the point in my life where, you know, after the second time you failed it or the third time you failed it, or even after getting accommodations, whatever they are, for your anxiety disorder, you, you still failed it. Now, admittedly, he's come close to passing, but he's, he still failed it. After you failed it three or four times, is it the school's fault? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, in the handoff between me and Steve Scafidi, I, I joked, you know, what, what do you call the guy who graduates last in his, de- in his, in his um, medical school class? Well, you call him doctor. Okay, you, you call him doctor, but I don't necessarily want the guy who graduated last in his medical school class being the one that decides, gee, um, I'm going to be doing your, your surgery or I'm going to be organizing your treatment plan. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I take no position on this lawsuit other than to say after you failed this dental exam four times, maybe dentistry is not your calling. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because I went to Marquette University Law School, I, I didn't have to take a bar exam. In the way it works in Wisconsin, we're one of, I think, only two states where if you graduate from either Marquette or Wisconsin, you, they have what they call diploma privilege. You don't have to take the bar exam. You're automatically admitted to the bar. You can practice law. If you are coming from out of state, an out of state school, you have to take the bar exam. But in Wisconsin, the, the pass rate, I, I didn't check it the most recently, but it, it's over 95%. It is it is not difficult. If you find somebody that's flunked the state bar exam, you got to work to flunk it. And if you find somebody that's flunked it multiple times, it's kind of like, oh, all right, you know, it's, that, there's issues going on. Okay, similarly here, you have a guy who's failed the dental exams four times, including once with accommodations. Now he's suing the laws, suing the dental school. Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, first thing first, I am a dentist, and I have okay. taken those boards. Well, it's okay. you know, regional and everything else. I've never heard of anybody failing four times. What's interesting is I have, I have colleagues that failed maybe a portion once, but never four times. I would never feel comfortable with him, and especially if he has to sue to get his licensing. There's an old joke. What do you call the last guy in your class to graduate? You still call him doctor. But right. this is unbelievable. <laughs> Okay, so you've taken these boards, and, and again, I, 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 that's what I was cu- curious about this morning is, because see, in some states, for example, for the, the, the bar admission, they're, they're trying to discourage lawyers. So it's not unusual, like in New York State or in California, to find people that, that have flunked you know, once or, or twice. That, that's not unusual because they make it very, very difficult. But again, the, the dental exams, like I say, I, I saw 90% first-time pass rate. So it tells me that I'm sure they're hard, but at the same time, it's not something that most people can't do if you have appropriate training. It is a very stressful situation. It really, really is. Uh, but at the same time, what are you going to do at 1 o'clock in the morning? If you have to go in by yourself after hours because you've got somebody to cause you, you know, with an infected tooth or they're in extreme pain, you know, how are you going to handle it then? Well, that, so, that's kind of it. I was, think, I was thinking of that situation. Yeah, if, if, if I'm... If somebody, and again, I, if, if somebody's got severe anxiety or something like that, I mean, I hope they get the treatment and get and deal with it at the same time, but, but I'm not sure that that's the person I want, I want doing my root canal, for example. I just, because I've got extreme anxiety when I'm sitting in that dentist chair. 
I mean, you have to know your limitations. But I don't even know if this guy understands where the foundations are. Yeah, thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly. You have to know. You have to know your limitations. I. I wouldn't be any good at being a dentist. I, I have no, I'm sure I have no aptitude for that. I have no particular interest in it. But again, I, I don't necessarily want somebody who's flunked four times to be my dentist. Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Danny. I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm almost like flabbergasted at this guy's stupidity. And, a bunch of different ways. I mean, number one, there's no accountability for yourself. Now, if I had went ahead and flunked a test once by one point, I'd be like, okay, well, let's study a little bit, and I'll pass the next time. If I don't pass again, then I know i got to really buckle down and, you know, hit the books hard. Okay, you don't do it again, well, then fine. Maybe I'm just not meant to do this. You know, in the words of the great Dirty Harry, a man's got to know his limitations. So at that point, you just swallow your pride and go, okay, I'm just not meant to do this, apparently. And as hard as that is to do, you do it. This guy, now, I don't want to, Danny, I don't want to sound like a no, character with people that do it. No, no. No, Dan, I got to let you go. So I'm sorry because I'm kind of right up against the clock for the for the news. But but yeah, I mean, it's look, I, I feel I feel bad, but there's just certain things that maybe you know maybe after you flunk the test four times, that's God's way of telling you that that this isn't the right time that that you're not at this point in time in your life you're you're not cut out to go into the the practice of of, of dentistry. I mean, that's and and maybe five years from now it'll be different. Maybe ten years from now it'll be different. But you have the these exams, you have these tests you have these proficiency things for a reason and, and after you flunk them time after time after time m- maybe it's not exactly the the dental school's problem could that be all right back with much more in just a couple minutes this is jeff wagner wtmj live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the show this is it is an amazing business story for anybody who is of a, a certain age. If if you will remember back in the day, O.J. Simpson, you know, before O.J. Simpson killed his his wife and uh, the the other bystander, and, and yeah, I understand he got acquitted, but juries get it wrong sometimes. Um, O.J. Simpson, remember one of the things he he was the spokesperson for all these different. Different ad, uh, different companies and all, and, and one of the the ads that you could always remember if you were a certain age is O.J. Simpson running through an, an airport, uh, jumping over things, you know, hurtling different things in order to you know get get to his his rental car. And O.J. Simpson was a spokesperson for Hertz Rental Car. That was you know one of the things that that he did. Hertz Rental Cars for the longest time, and I'm talking about decades. They were the dominant rental car industry, the dominant company in the rental car industry. I mean, they, as a matter of fact, their competitor, Avis, it used to be Hertz and Avis. Those were the two. Avis used to run ads. And again, if you're of a certain age, you will remember this. We're number two, but we try harder. You know, and they were trying to say, okay, look, at, we understand we're, we're up against Goliath. Hertz is the Goliath, but we're the little David, and, you know, we're, we're there. You know, come, come give us a chance. We're, you know, we'll make you happy. We're number two, but we try harder. And, and that, was, that was the big dynamic that, that went on. But Hertz was the big, huge rental car company. 
Uh, Hertz announcing over the weekend that they are declaring bankruptcy. Um, they're, they're, the, the business has completely and totally fallen apart. Now, there's a lot of stuff that, that goes on here. What happened is a number of years ago, Hertz, in an effort to try to go after Avis, Hertz was kind of like business travelers. You know, if you traveled for business and you needed to rent a car, you know, Hertz, Hertz had a lock on that part of the market. And Avis... Avis was going after the, the, the recreational thing. You know, you, you fly to Disney World and you're going to rent a car to drive around Orlando. Avis was going after that. Hertz decided it wanted to try to get into that business. And so what they did is they, they bought Dollar Rental Car and Thrifty. It's called Dollar Thrifty. And, and those rental car agencies, and, and those agencies were like hemorrhaging debt. They were hemorrhaging cash. And so Hertz bought those, and instead of... Instead of it being a real great kick to the business, it, it helped bring the, the business under. But, I mean, Hertz just has been hemorrhaging money. They are, uh, at this point in time, by the end of March, they were, get this, $24 billion in debt. $24 billion in debt with only $1 billion in available cash. <laughs> okay, so you owe $24 billion. You've got a billion dollars in cash. That's not exactly a recipe for success. And then, of course, what happened is in mid-March, they were essentially shut down because, again, Hertz and Dollar and Thrifty you know, lost all revenue. And so then what they started to do is they, they went around and they tried to go to different investors or banks or whatever, and they said, hey, you know, can you, can you lend us money, loan us money to try to keep operating? And, of course, I mean, I'm I'm not a banker, but when I hear $24 billion in debt and a billion dollars in, in cash, that suggests to me that it's not a business model that's working. The Hertz CEO says no business is built for zero revenue. Uh, there's only so long that the company's reserves will carry them. Late March, Hertz got rid of 12,000 workers and put another 4,000 on on furlough in an effort to save money. But that was just like the tip of the iceberg, which is why when we talk about the economic consequences of, of COVID-19, you know, 19. And, of course, I, I understand that there's more going on with Hertz than, than just the, the coronavirus. But the coronavirus and the shutdown that followed that and the fact that people aren't traveling, you don't know when they're going to start traveling, that was, I, I think, the, certainly the final nail in the coffin. So now you have a situation where you have, again, an enormous number of people, I mean, 12,000 workers who lost their jobs and another 4,000 that were put on furlough. And, and now Hertz says it's filing bankruptcy protection. Maybe it's going to be able to emerge from bankruptcy, but 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 who knows? The balance sheet doesn't certainly doesn't sound good. So that's another twelve to sixteen thousand workers plus all the other people who still work for the company who very soon might be out of a job. That's the the effect that goes on. But I bring this up simply because again, if you were if you were a certain age, Hertz was the number one company in the rental car industry. It was the big dog, and the idea that. Okay, at, at any point in time, Hertz could have failed. It's just something that's beyond a lot of people. But the truth of the matter is, Hertz has, in fact, failed. And it shows that this can happen to any business, that uh, no business really is too big to fail. All right, when we come back, what do you do with the gravestones? I will explain and we will discuss. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> 
855-616-1620. Here's a text, Jeff. Hertz controls so many cars at so many sites. Selling them could cause eventual shortages when travel returns and simultaneously depress used car prices nationwide. This is bad in several ways. Yeah, it's 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 not a pretty sight. And, I mean, the whole rental car industry is just has been completely and totally upended by by this and I don't I don't know what the future is is going to look like it's not like this was an incredible profit center before that all right here is the story I'm going to tell you my conclusion but I'm willing to discuss this I don't think you should mess around with the headstones but I'm curious as to what you think okay here here is the the deal during world war 2 what happened is a number of prisoners of war, some Japanese prisoners of war, some Italian prisoners of war, some German soldiers, prisoners of war, captured during the war, they were brought to the United States where they were interred. They, they were held in prison camps in the United States. Right? Under U.S. law, enemy prisoners of war are entitled to be buried in um, U.S. military cemeteries with the, with full honors due them. Right. So if you are U.S. if you are a German prisoner of war, you were brought to the United States in 1943 or 44 or whatever. You were held here. You die. You are entitled by law and by the Geneva Convention to be buried in a U.S. military cemetery. All right. That's the way it works. Now there's not a lot of foreign prisoners of war who are buried in US cemeteries but there are there are a couple of them all right so here's here is the story and here's where it gets interesting um in th- there's a US military cemetery at Fort Sam Houston in Houston and there's another one in in San Antonio Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio and there's another military cemetery Fort Douglas in Salt Lake City Utah and there are Three headstones that are there where three German prisoners of war are buried, all right, which they are entitled to do. As it turns out, the gravestones, you know, that, that, that mark where they're buried are cut of the same white stone and they're in the same shape as the U.S. military markers that you see. So they're, they're, they're no different as far as like shape and what they're, they're cut out of. But there are three different headstones of German prisoners of war. And in the U.S. military cemeteries, they have an inscription. They all feature the German Iron Cross, which has a swastika in the middle, and an inscription that says, quote, he died far from his home for the Fuhrer, the people, and fatherland. Right? Now, these gravestones have gone unnoticed for, for decades. No, nobody noticed them. Until a couple weeks ago, what happened is a, a military activist apparently found out about this and then has now gone public demanding that the VA remove the stones. And it's, uh, it's a Jewish Air Force veteran who says, I had no idea that enemy combatants from the Axis powers were buried in Veterans National Cemeteries um, and said that, you know, you you, you, you got to replace the headstone, and you can't display the Nazi symbol. You can't have a swastika there. Now, VA officials say, no, there's nothing that we can do because of historical preservation laws. We, you know, we're, 
we're not going to disturb these grave sites. They, they have been there since, you know, whenever, and, and we're not going to disturb them. And, of course, this has some people extremely upset. I'm quoting one of the stories I'm looking at. Using symbols of hate is absolutely the wrong thing to do under normal circumstances, but this is an historical artifact. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So here's the deal. You've got German prisoners of war, just a handful of them, who died. They are now buried in U.S. military cemeteries like they are entitled to. The inscription contains the Iron Cross that has the swastika on it. And some people are upset. They think that that's, I guess, an, an insult to the Holocaust what do you think? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should, essentially, the VA go in and remove, not the graves, but remove these headstones because of the inscription on them, because the swastika has no place in a, a in an American military cemetery. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, and maybe you will disagree with me on this. And, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm the guy who over the last you know year or so, it's been my privilege to have a couple you know experts who've come on and you know they're coming to Milwaukee and they, they've talked about you know they're going to be presentations on the horrors of the Holocaust, et cetera, et cetera. I'm one of the guys who was strongly in favor of adding required lessons about the Holocaust to the um, the, the the curriculum so we, we don't forget about it. But that's a little bit different than this. This is okay, German soldiers who died, who were buried, who had these headstones planted. The headstones have been there for decades and decades. Now in 2020, should we essentially not remove the graves, but knock down the headstones because they have the Iron Cross on them? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I look at this. And I say that this is these are historical artifacts, and I, I think you know if the situation had been had been different, and um, you know if this was a situation where you had I don't know American military graves in some some foreign country, and you had the foreign country that decided for whatever reasons you know we're we're going to now start you know taking off the, these headstones, I would be appalled by that. And I guess this is the same sort of thing. They were prisoners of war. They are entitled to this, and it's been there for decades and decades. I don't think anybody has been offended by this before. They are historical artifacts, and and I don't think you can. I don't think we should monkey with history. I think we learn from history. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we take down the headstones? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, some people are extremely upset that they've now found out that in a couple American military cemeteries across the country, there are a handful of, of German prisoners of war who during World War II were, were brought to the United States and, and held here. And uh, the way the Geneva Convention works, the way U.S. law works, is that if one of those people die, they're, they're entitled to be, if, if they died while they were, uh, again, in, in the prison camp, they're entitled to be buried with full military honors. And so they were buried in a U.S. cemetery with 
full military honors, and now it turns out that the headstones in a couple of these graves have like the iron cross, and it says he died for the Fuhrer, and they've got the swastika on him. And a couple military activists are just appalled that this would happen. My, my response is, I think... Just I would I would let these soldiers rest in peace, and that is not an endorsement in any way, shape, or form of the Holocaust or what these people did. But it's just I think we we're we're so obsessed sometimes with monkeying with history and, and trying to change history. All right, they were German soldiers. Nobody is saying that these were Gestapo people. They were prisoners of war. They, they died, and they're entitled to be buried with full military honors. And I would expect that other countries, if this was Americans, would be treating them the same way. Uh, Jeff, these boys fought for their country just like ours did. Please leave them be. Jeff, we cannot change history. We should be eager to improve the successes and never repeat the failures. Well, I think there's an element to that um, a, as well. Jeff, I'm sick of everyone trying to change history. Well, that, that's that's it as well. Um, you know, Jeff, exactly you just mentioned, what about military members buried in many cemeteries in other countries do not alter their headstones? I guess that's that's how I, I look at this. It's not it's it's not an endorsement of what they were fighting for. We we won the war. And I understand that the victors get to write history. But at this point in time, what, what do you gain by what do you gain by knocking down the headstones that have been there forever? Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Mike, uh, this is Mike. I'm a military Hi, man. Uh, that, that was that was good enough for our military members and the individuals who thought it important at the time to put it up. Uh, Normandy honors our headstones over there. I think we should uh, keep no. it. It's historical. It was right then. And once again, who are we to dictate what was done in the history, in the past? Well, right. No, th- thanks for call, Mike. I, I appreciate. It. I guess that's. I'm kind of looking at this, and, and I mean, I guess I don't see this. And what started this controversy a couple of weeks ago, first of all, this has been there for 30, 40, 50 years, well, longer than that. I mean, this has been there for like 70-plus years, and it wasn't controversial. And then you found this military activist who saw it, and then, of course, this is what happens with the Internet. This goes off, and then you have people who are legitimately upset, thinking, okay, is this, is this glamorizing the Third Reich? To which my response would be, no, it, it, it's not. It is just a recognition that these were enemy soldiers who are entitled to certain protections. In the case of these who passed away while they were being held here, they're entitled to certain protections, and they're entitled to certain honors, and, and they died while serving their country. It, it's not like we're still flying. Well, this isn't the Confederate flag. It's not like we're, we're flying the Confederate flag over a, a state house. And, and what does that mean? This is that they died. They died 70 plus years ago. This is the headstone that they had. Do we gain anything? Do we make people do we make anybody feel any better? Do we make any sort of statement at all if we say, OK, we've got to now knock down this headstone? My response is let these let these people let them rest in peace. For, for goodness sakes, and let's 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 worry about let's teach the Holocaust, okay? So we, we make sure that everybody knows what happened, and and we don't repeat that. Let's let's treasure the the survivors of the Holocaust who are are still with us. Let's let's have them tell their tales. Let's not worry about okay. Let's go through grave sites and start taking away gravestones. Just saying. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. What a gorgeous day outside. Hope you have an opportunity to get out and enjoy it. I tell you, after the uh, 
after everything that's been going on in the world and in this country and in this state and in this area over the course of the last couple months, it's nice to see some good weather and hopefully people get a chance to, again, enjoy it over the next few days. Matter of fact, I understand there's some showers in the forecast, at least partly this week. But in general, it looks like we're heading into a very, very good stretch of weather. Um, we have been watching the stock market. The stock market up 600 and the Dow Jones up 674 points as of now. That's really being driven by optimism about two things. First of all, the potential development of a coronavirus vaccine, which at the end of the day is the, the way out of the, this mess that we're in. Because the, the bottom line is, COVID-19 is going to be with us until there, there is a vaccine. And so that means we, we've got to be figuring out how we're going to, to balance risk. And I understand that there's some people who, who view it as a binary choice. Well, and somebody sent me a text earlier today about, well, you know, it, you, are you saying that the economy is more important than, than lives? No, I'm saying both are, are important, and you have to balance out the, the, the risk. And in Wisconsin, we've, we've had over 500 people who passed away as a result of coronavirus, and that is horrible and it is unacceptable. At the same time, we also have half a million people who are unemployed, and that is horrible and unacceptable. And you have to, again, balance balance the risks. And I think that's the challenge of what we have to do moving forward. And for some people, that's going to mean they, 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 don't, they want to be guaranteed absolute safety. And they're, they're not going to go out and they're not going to have any contact with anybody else. And, and that's, that, that's fine. And if they're you know, living on a fixed income or they've got a whole bunch of money in the bank and they don't have to worry about going to work and making a living and paying mortgages and paying rent and paying car payments, that, that's great. You got to balance that that desire for absolute safety versus uh, versus the whole idea of gee, you know, we have to balance our risk, and you don't want to do stupid things that are going to expose you to illness. But at the same time, you, you have to be able to live a, a life which involves taking risks because, like I say, you know, you you risk getting. You, in the city of Milwaukee, you know, you cross the street and you risk getting run down by somebody driving 95 miles an hour trying to get away from the police. So there's always this whole idea of balancing risk, and you have to decide what to do. All right, right before the break, I, I mentioned 1.15 million. You, if you got 1.15 million, well, okay, here's what you can buy. Brian Ryan Braun of the Brewers, he's just put his condo on the market. Um, Ryan Braun is in the final year of his contract with the, the Brewers. If you will recall, um, he um, signed a five-year contract, $105 million. And the contract was signed before he got exposed for all his, his steroid stuff and things like that. And the Brewers have been on the hook for the contract. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll, let the, I'll let the sports guys decide whether or not Braun overperformed, underperformed, or did what you'd expect for $105 million. But this is his last year on the contract, and I think it's pretty clear that if the Brewers bring him back, they're, they're not going to bring him back at anywhere close to the money that they've been paying him. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But uh, about seven years ago, he purchased a, a condo in Kilbourne Tower um, on the 33rd floor, Bought it for six hundred and thirty-five thousand. He's now put it on the market for one point one five million. His principal residence is in Malibu, where, at least according to Channel Four, he's got a, a five million dollar place in, in Malibu. But he's got the condo for when he's in Milwaukee. Clearly, I think they're probably figuring. Well, his, his days in Milwaukee are probably numbered. So, um, bottom line is, if if you wanna if you wanna live in the place where Ryan Braun lived. 
and you've got 1.15 million, and maybe if you make him an offer, I mean, I, you know, who knows exactly what the high-end real estate market is going to look like, you know, given all the stuff that's going on with COVID-19. You know, maybe if you offered him a cool million, you could be able to walk away with it. But anyhow, Ryan Braun, I think, signaling his days in Milwaukee are are numbered uh, by putting his condo on the market. Okay. One of the things that we've been trying to figure out is what the world is going to look like after the, the coronavirus pandemic passes or, or minimizes. Because, you know, there, there, there will, or at least there's the potential that there will be another. The, the phrase they use is black swan. The, this, this COVID-19 is a black swan. It's the phrase they use, something completely unexpected, some virus that comes in and completely, you know, turns everything on its side. One of the things that we have found is that urban areas have been hit harder than rural areas, which isn't to say that rural areas haven't been hit. But if you look at some of the epicenters, whether it's you know, New York City or Detroit or to a lesser extent Los Angeles or San Francisco or some of these other places, Chicago as well, one of the things you find is that the spread of this virus is tougher to contain in the urban areas. Now, why, why is that? Well, you've got lots of people living in, in housing where you, you've got, I don't know, like the 40-story you know, uh, buildings where you've got everybody living in apartments and everybody going through the same hallways and people touching the same buttons on the elevator. You've got you know, huge population density where the streets are typically packed. The, everything is, is packed. You go to New York and you've got the highest density in the United States and one of the highest density cities in the world. You depend on mass transit to get around. People don't have cars in, in New York. People don't have cars in Chicago. I mean, I understand some people have cars, but to, to get around in the city, people rely largely on mass transit, whether it's the buses or the L's or the subway systems or whatever. So you're jumping on, you know, you're, you're getting on a subway car, for example, in New York, where somebody else has just gotten off of. And you don't know who that person is, and you don't know what germs they might have left behind. And, and yeah, you can try to wipe it down, but, you know, again, you, you just don't know that situation. So you've got all this stuff going on with urban living. Now, for the last number of years, there has been, at least to an extent, there's been a trend of people moving into the urban areas. You know, the empty nesters coming down. We want to live downtown because we don't need the big house in the suburb. We don't need the lawn that we have to take care of. We want to move downtown, and we don't want to have to drive places, and we want to be able to walk to the theater, and we want to be able to walk to the restaurants we like, and we want to be able to walk to, to see the Bucks games. But that, that's what we want to do. And then, of course, you've had the young professionals the younger people who've wanted to move into the urban areas as well because that's where we want to be. We want to be around all the hip and trendy areas, and we want to be able to hop the trolley. Well, maybe not hop the trolley, but we want to be able to call our Uber, and we want to be you know, close to where you know, the action is, and we want to go to all the clubs, and we want all this type of stuff. So you've had the younger people, and then you've had the empty nesters that are moving into the urban areas. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Number of stories out there saying that at least for the foreseeable future, one of the big impacts of COVID-19 has been, well, to cause people to abandon urban areas. You know, um, whether it's New York or Chicago or Detroit, the idea that, hey, we, we want to come and we want to live close to people and we want to do all those things. We want to take the mass transit. We want to have the high density. We want to go into the places that are packed. 
One of the things are, maybe a lot of people are rethinking this. Is this going to cause people to rethink the, the city? And from your perspective, whether you're a suburb dweller in the suburbs or if you live in the city, this may be rethinking where you want to live long term. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, story I'm looking at in the Washington Post says, Frustrated and struggling, New Yorkers contemplate abandoning the city that they love. Right? Is that going to happen to urban areas all across the country? My answer is, I, I think it will. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think as we come out of this whole COVID-19 pandemic, I, I think you're going to see things change in ways that we have not anticipated. Um, and I think one of those things is going to be the, the, the move that we've been seeing over the last you know, couple decades towards people moving into urban areas. Now, you know, you move into the urban areas and you got to put up with stuff. Let, let's you, you move to the city of Milwaukee. And at least in parts of the city of Milwaukee, you have to deal with crime. You have to deal with higher costs. You have to deal with a degree of congestion. And you take that in the city of Milwaukee, and then you transpose that on you know, Chicago or Detroit or uh, New York. And then, then you're really dealing with crime, and you're dealing with high costs, and you're dealing with the congestion. But the balance that you get is the idea that, hey, I, I, this is this is exciting. It, it's a city that never sleeps, and it's here 24-7, and I, I'm with all these people, and there's all this different stuff that's going on and all. Well, and that's that's very cool. But at the same time, now you've added this extra element, which is, boy, you know, you, you it's one thing to self-isolate, and if you're... I don't know. You're you're living in a I don't know five or six million dollar place. You know, on Park Avenue, it, it's fine. But if you're living in a a tiny rent controlled studio apartment in Greenwich Village, right? The, the idea that okay, you're you're not going to be able to go out. And you're going to have to shelter at home. That's that's not as attractive. In addition. There's risks for all of us, let's face it, but you look at the areas that have been hardest hit, and one of the things that you see is it's that population density. And and again, it it makes sense. You're using the same elevators. You're in these buildings where there's hundreds, maybe thousands of other people that are there, and you're interacting with them in close quarters, which is so materially different than, again, if you're in, I don't know, a, a suburban type of setting. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, several years ago, my wife said she wanted to move to the city, Milwaukee, Appleton, or Green Bay. We were living in the country west of Crivets. I was against it, but I figured if she's happy, I'm happy. Smart man. But then she saw a similar house in the country, eight acres with a stream along the side of the property, 12 miles to town, bought it. We are really glad um, we did. Um, Jeff, I think there will be a steady exodus to the burbs. I hope they don't bring their heavy tax spend values with them. Um, that's from Kyle. Um, Jeff, curious circular turn of trends. 41 Drive and Theater in Franklin torn down to make way for suburban campus, which they expected to be their future home. Then 10 years ago, younger workers started preferring to live downtown and work nearby. So NM reversed and built the site of their state-of-the-art tower um, downtown. 
Um, now, with many working at home, maybe they'll eventually need more space at neither campus. Um, so it, it is, you know, interesting how this stuff turns around. And, and I understand that, at least up until recently, that's been one of the big appeals. Lots of companies saying the younger workers that we are trying to attract, they want to be downtown. And that's been one of the things that's been leading some of the resurgence, particularly well, east and immediately west of the river in downtown Milwaukee. It's the idea that you know the companies want to be there. They do the research that say that the young workers want to be there, and so let's 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 build it, and they will come. Now you're starting to see the situation about whether is, is that really going to be the case, and especially. I understand there's some of the younger workers who just think they're in- invincible. We'll talk about this the next hour of the program, that the people that, that flock hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that pour into, like, particular swimming pools and all and who, who just, you know, think that they're immune and, and don't care about the social distancing or masks or any of that stuff. But but beyond that, I think that there's a lot of people who um, are smart about this but still are nevertheless concerned about the urban areas because th- there's only so much distancing you can do when you're living in an apartment building that's got 30 floors and has got you know 10 units on each of the floors. You're going to have to be around people. You're going to have to be touching the same buttons on the elevator. Don't be surprised if this is a trend that develops. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. It is a gorgeous day outside. You know, it's interesting. When we we started the the whole shutdown a couple months ago, the the big concern was with the idea of flattening the curve. And as we've talked about before, that the idea of flattening the curve was that given the fact that COVID-19 is going to be with us for the foreseeable future, we wanted to make sure that the, the rate of infection, that's, that we, we didn't get so many people that got infected that needed to be hospitalized that the medical system ended up being overwhelmed. And so the, the idea is we, we want to make sure you have ventilators, even though they're, they're now saying that, that maybe ventilators aren't the way to go. And you want to make sure that, that health professionals have the personal protective equipment that, that they need, the masks and the gowns and, and the things like that. And I think it's fair to say that we were caught woeful. It was woefully inadequate. We were woefully Unprepared, And whether you want to blame President Trump or President Obama or President Bush or President Clinton, I don't care. I mean, we, we were unprepared for that. And that's something that I think we end up having to learn from. But the whole idea of, of flattening the curve was never designed to guarantee absolute safety. It was guaranteed to make sure that we don't overwhelm the hospital system. Well, the good news in Wisconsin is that we've never come close to overwhelming the hospital system. And that's that's a very, very good thing. Now, I, does that mean it, it can't happen if there's a surge in the fall or something? No, I, I guess anything is possible, although I think we've, we've gotten smarter about this. And also we're, we're starting to recognize that there's really only a, a relatively small percentage of the people who actually who, who get tested, who end up testing positive for this. And of the people that test positive, lots of them, thankfully, don't need to be hospitalized. And so that's why if we concentrate our resources on, on trying to keep the people who are most vulnerable from getting sick, we're, we're going to be you know, better off and you're not going to strain the hospital resources. But in any event, we, we didn't know any of that a couple months ago. And so what happened is you had a number of hospitals which just essentially shut down. They, they, we're, we're not going to see 
any other patients. We're going to cancel all sorts of elective surgeries. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, essentially convert our facilities into hospitals designed to take take care of coronavirus patients. So, you know, we're we're going to close this surgical center and we're going to turn this into, uh, a, again, spare hospital beds or whatever. And as it turned out, we never needed that. So the effect of this has been a lot of people who, who needed medical attention weren't able to get it. And I, I understand that maybe it's not an essential thing, but if you're, you're due for a knee replacement and you're now told, okay, you, you can't have this, or you're due for a mammogram and you're told, okay, you, you can't have this, or you, you can't have your colonoscopy, uh, okay, you know, maybe it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, you were being told that because we wanted to hold other space in reserve that we ended up not needing. So we, we should have learned something. Now, I'm looking at a story in the Madison papers about how even though there's never been a surge, and even though hospitals are starting to get back to where they were, they're, they're still saying, well, we're, we're not going to get up to 100% capacity. We want to continue to reserve areas in case there is a surge. Or alternatively, we want to be prepared in case there is, so maybe we can break down the stuff right away and, and, and then be ready for it. I don't think there's anything wrong with being prepared in the event that there is a surge. At the same time, though, let us be honest about what is going on here. We've learned from our experience that by practicing the the social distancing, by making people more aware of this, that we've been able to limit the number of people who have to go into hospitals. And so I think it would be a huge mistake if suddenly we were to say, all right, we're we're not going to allow more normal medical procedures to, to occur because there is a cost to that a, as well. Now, if you want to keep the Expo Center at, at State Fair, if you want to continue to have it be a hospital that's in, essentially never been used and hopefully will never be used, I, I guess that's fine. But at some point in time, we need to learn the lessons from the past, which is, okay, be prepared, but at the same time, let's not overreact. Let's have a plan to get us back to normal, understanding that maybe we have to pivot. I don't think that's too much to ask for. Okay, when we come back, what were they thinking? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. Look, I am not a coronavirus Karen when it comes to a fear of, of interacting with other people. I think you have to balance risk. I've been the guy arguing for weeks and weeks that the, the way we shut down the state made very little sense, and we need to be smart opening up the state uh, again. Having said that, and I know we've been reporting all day, the State Fair Board of Directors meeting, I, I, talk me out of this if you want, but I just don't see any way in the world that we are going to have a Wisconsin State Fair two months from now. I, I just I don't see how it can occur. Now, this is according to today's TMJ4. Um, right now, the, the event scheduled to take place August 6th through the 16th at State Fair Park. So that's, what, nine weeks from now. Here's what they said. They said a decision will not was not made today regarding whether the 2020 Wisconsin State Fair will take place. The goal is to have a decision announced by the end of 
May. Today, the State Fair Park Board of Directors voted unanimously to authorize Chairman Yingling, that's John Yingling, who is, by the way, a very good guy, to make the determination whether events currently scheduled at State Fair Park, including the 2020 Wisconsin State Fair, are to be canceled after sufficient input from each board member, as well as Kathleen Leary, Executive Director, CEO, who is also a great person. If the chairman determines that events should be canceled, he has the authority, duty, and responsibility to cancel events until this authority is revoked by the board. So the otherwise that the board is saying, you, you, Mr. Chairman, you have the authority to cancel the state fair. I love state fair. All right, it's no secret. One of the things I look forward to every year is the fact that you know we broadcast our, our shows from what we call the fishbowl out at State Fair, and I love the opportunity that during the commercial breaks I get to go out and shake hands with people, and you know, you'll, you'll look up, you'll be doing the program, and all of a sudden you look up and there's 20, 30, 40, 50 people that are gathering around looking at somebody talking into a microphone. But it is a very cool thing. Plus, not only as somebody who likes working at the State Fair and broadcasting the fair, I like going to the fair. I mean, I hang around, I get there early, I stay there late, sometimes on days that I'm not broadcasting. We'll go out there. I love wandering around. I like going into the, the expo center and, and walking through crowded aisles and you know looking at all the different things like the guy selling the, the blender where you take a, a tomato and two radishes and a couple walnuts and you turn them into a vanilla milkshake. I, I love watching that, that stuff. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm less of a midway guy, but um, you know the grandkids... My nephew, they, they love the Midway, so, you know, we go down there. But I, I love going to the different food stands and, you know, getting stuff that's really bad for you. But I, I still, I love all that. And, of course, you know, the, the cream puffs, you know, we do and we've done for years and years and years our, our cream puff giveaway the day before State Fair. I love everything about it. But the truth of the matter is... State Fair, in some respects, is a victim of its own success. They had 1.1 million people there last year. People want to go to the fair. People want to be in crowds. This is not the summer of crowds, is it? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry. I just Everything else has pretty much been canceled. Fourth of July events have been canceled. All the ethnic festivals have been canceled. The Democratic National Committee, uh, the convention, is on life support and will probably end up being virtual or or a, a shell of what was talked about. Northwestern Mutual isn't bringing its agents into town. Irish Fest, scheduled for August, isn't happening. If we have baseball or if we have basketball, it, it's, it's going to be played before empty stadiums because... At least for the summer of 2020, Fourth of July fireworks over. We're, we're not, we're, we're not going to be in crowds. And you know, over the weekend, it's again. I think people have largely behaved responsibly, which is one of the reasons that I've been a big proponent of of opening up the state and the country because I, I I end up trusting people. But I understand that you see some of these images, like the thing that was all over the news about this packed pool party in the Lake of Ozarks, and that's now gone national. I mean, you you look at the pictures from that pool party. And, and State Fair is that pool party on steroids. That's what it is. It's people. And it's people wandering around. And it's people in the expo halls. And it's people going to the different food stands. And it's people touching each other. And it's people running into the bathrooms. I mean, it's it's built around large groups of people. The Midway. All those things. And I'm sorry, I just don't see as a practical matter how that happens. 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I'm, I'm, look, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm not wishing this ill, but it seems to me that this is kind of like the, the death watch. And, I mean, what, what would State Fair be able to do this year that none of the other festivals have been able to do? And, and the answer is they, they just I don't see it. All right, let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, my thought is I'm uh, regretting that I don't think the state fair is going to happen, but one hopeful thought I have is that they might keep the uh, cream puff takeout line going for the whole season. <laughs> well, that's, well, I, 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 I mean, you could you could do some of Thanks to call, Mike. I mean, you could do some of that, that stuff, but, I, I mean, I, seriously, I, the, part of, of the state fair experience is the crowds. Tell me how you're going to have a midway. I'm sorry, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see it. That the midway is not made for social distancing. The midway is okay. You, you're you're jumping in this roller coaster car just as soon as somebody jumps out. I mean, how how can you do that? The midway is you're, you're going there and you're you're shooting, trying to win the little stuffed animals with these guns that somebody else has just touched. I just I just as a practical matter, I, I don't see any of that. I mean, could you? I mean, let's think of even the animal barns. People are people are in very, very close contact with each other. I mean, you're going to be close. And and whether you want to argue about our, whether our reaction to coronavirus has been too extreme or not, the, the truth is I, I think all of us would agree that the last thing that is going to get back to normal, the absolute last thing, is the large crowds. And we think about it, at least in my mind, that makes sense. We, You know, we, we, we want to focus on on what they call the super spreaders the the idea that you know you could have a handful of people who are sick and suddenly they're in a crowd of, of 10 15 20 30 50,000 people so they're able to infect a whole bunch of people at, at once that's that's state fair and and I say this affectionately I, I love state fair but I just don't see it happening over the weekend you know Minnesota I'm told announced that they had canceled their state fair and I get I'm sorry to see it but I think it, it's kind of the reality that we're we're living with okay uh gru is lining up the calls we're going to continue this conversation all right is, is the state fair going to happen and i guess related to that if it did happen would you go this summer back with more calls in just a moment this is jeff wagner wtmj jeff wagner on wtmj Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I'm part of a local Lions club that's decided with the support of our community that we are having our 4th of July festival as planned. More hand-washing stations and hand sanitizers. State fair, though, is a whole different ball game, and I don't think you can have it because of too many outside variables. Who knows, though, people may need something to lift their spirits, and this might be just the thing. Oh, look, don't don't get me wrong. I think people are going to need things to lift their spirits. That's what you saw first night, we, nice weekend, everybody out. It's not that people don't want to go. It's whether it's reasonable to have this and as a practical matter. I mean, how many people, if you had 1.1 million people that, that went last year, I mean, how many people really are going to go this year? I mean, and again, I'm, I, I'm not a coronavirus Karen, but I have to tell you, I mean, if, if the Brewers announced, and I'm a huge baseball fan, if the Brewers announced, hey, we're, we're playing baseball tomorrow and we're going to have 40,000 people back at Miller Park, well, it, it might not be me because I'm not quite ready to go into those large, large crowds yet. 855-616-1620. Roger and Brown Deer. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, interesting Hi, observation. One thing that you normally don't 
see uh, on the market is 22 caliber short ammunition. It's pretty much uh, obsolete except for carnival shooting galleries. And they, of okay. course, order a large quantity for each season. Well, guess what's being dumped at bargain basement prices all over the Internet and in the local stores? 22 short ammunition. So that probably says something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, in, in secret, I mean, I keep, you know, it's interesting. Thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. You know, you think about the, like the, like the different vendors. And we were talking about this last week, like with concerts. The, the, the summer outdoor concert season featuring big bands, big, big shows has pretty much been canceled. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm, if you're a regular listener to the program, you know, I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan. They just announced over the weekend that they were canceling all the summer shows, moving them to 2021 in part because you, you need, if, if you're a vendor, you know, you, you need, you have a schedule. Okay, I'm going to be at the Wisconsin State Fair for 10 days, and then we're going to go and we're going to do the Iowa State Fair. We're going to do this and that and the other thing. You, you have, you know, your summer is planned by these different uh, events. And so if, if some are going and some aren't, a lot of times it, it just doesn't make sense. That's the problem with the big concert bands. Bands, the only way they make money it isn't just like doing a one-off show. Hey, we're going to show up and, and do one performance at a particular venue. They need to be in Detroit on Tuesday and in Milwaukee on Thursday and in Chicago. Chicago on Saturday. That that's how they, they make the money. And I think the same thing is true for a lot of the carnies and the vendors and things like that. It's just I, it just it's tough to see how this is going to happen and what State Fair can do that's going to be different than what all the ethnic festivals decided that they, they couldn't do. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to um let's see, let's go to Dave in Appleton. Hi Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? I go the other way. At some point, you got to take a leap of faith. I mean, I am, again, I understand this is not the flu, but this is not the zombie apocalypse either. Mm-hmm. The death rate is nowhere near what they predicted. You have a mm-hmm. more likely mathematical chance of being shot in Milwaukee on a weekend than you do of dying of COVID. And something has to... Just to, to stop. What, what, what's going to be your criteria for opening anything? If you don't open it and have a leap of faith, if you don't want to go, don't go. But you've got to start somewhere. I mean, the, the NFL con, uh, season's coming up. They touch each other on every play. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. No, let me. But let me ask you this, Dave. Do you think that you're going to have? Can you imagine seventy-five thousand people at Lambeau Field in early September? I mean, do you do you think that they're going to do that? No, I'd be there in a heartbeat. And if they want to give up their season <laughs> tickets, that's great because I'm. Only, I got about a thousand to go before I get my season tickets, and I've been on the waiting list for thirty-eight years. So if somebody wants to turn in no, the tickets, I, go for it. No, th- th- thanks for the call, Dave. I, I mean, look, and, and, and I understand, and I'm one of these guys, but there is there is a balancing. It's funny you should mention that because I, I, I don't want to say who, but I, I over the weekend I ran into somebody who has close ties to the Packers, and, and we were having exactly the, the same conversation. He was saying, hey, we, we, just, we just don't know what, what's going on now, um, but – 
I, I, I posed exactly that question. I said, I, I just don't see how you're going to have 75,000 people at Lambeau Field in September. And, and, you know, my friend who works for the NFL said, yeah, I, I just I, I agree. I just don't see that that happening. And and I understand that you got to start somewhere, which is one of the reasons that I've been saying that we should open up businesses and we shouldn't have treated the small jewelry store differently than we, we've been treating Walmarts and Costco's and things like that. But at the same time, the, the, it's the large crowds that is going to be last to reopen. That that's just number one. It's it's being around the large groups of of people. And secondly, the nature of state fair is that you you, you have contact with people. You're you're touching the same things. You're you're just in close quarters. And I guess I just I don't understand. Could you construct a state fair? Where okay, we're going to have half as many animals, and we're not going to have the the expo the expo center, which is still, by the way, a, a reserve medical facility. <laughs> you know, I mean, all right, we're going to we're going to clean that out, and we're going to put a third as many vendors in there. Okay, you know, maybe, and we're going to widen the aisles so they're three times as much. Y- yes, I, I guess I could conceive of how you could do things to limit attendance dramatically, but then you get to the point of saying, okay, what, why? I mean, if we're going to have to do all this stuff, which is going to, for 2020, essentially change the character of the state fair so it's not like the fair. And let's be honest. I mean, I understand that there's a certain percentage of people. There are people, There's and you know who you are, there's lots of people who won't even consider dining inside in a restaurant for the foreseeable future. That's that's just the reality you face with. And, and I mean, I understand what Dave is saying. He's like, well, you know, let people decide. Well, I just... I don't see that, you know, happening. Mabel in Oak Creek. Mabel, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking Hi, my Mabel. call in here. I'm going to rattle sure. really fast because then when you got to cut me off, then you got to cut me off. Number <laughs> one, I know there's a lot of stages that have music, and these folks that have their food with the music stages probably got to cancel those contracts, and it's got to be done sooner than later or they lose their deposit or however that works out with them. So I think if the grandstand stayed, I don't know if anybody's canceled from that, that might be a good thing. Yep, you're going to lose out on all the beer drinkers for listening to the music, but you've got to weigh the pros and cons. I think if the midway goes away, that's a better thing. You can contain people on the other parts of the grounds. The vendors that travel from out of states, if they're having any virus issues that we don't know about until they get here, how is that going to come play in? People that touch all the merchandise, let's, pay, let's face it, once you buy food, it's yours, it's gone. But the vendors that are inside the expo hall or the touchy-feely, are they going to, each vendor going to say you have to wear gloves? They got to, instead of saying everybody's going to make up their own rules, it's it's a it's a lot for Kathy O'Leary to fathom. It's like, you know, some of these people travel from fair to fair, from yeah. state to state, and they're from Florida or wherever else, and this is how they have to plan things. And like with Summerfest getting moved, I know I talked to two people that are not from here that says there's no way I can afford to stay in a hotel for three weekends over Summerfest. Yeah, and, and I mean, in Summerfest, I, I don't, I don't know what they're going to end up doing uh, because, I mean, a number of the, keep in mind, a number of the acts that they had booked for this summer, they're, they're not touring. They're, they're just taking off to 2021. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you fill the stages. Anyways, th- thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate. It. Again, I, there, there's all these different logistical things that are out there. I mean, I was. I, I, okay, I was just, we, we get memos about, I, I've been working at home, I'm, I'm scheduled to go back in two weeks, but th- that's, that's, but, there, but there's all of these different strict guidelines that are out there, I, I don't know, I'm, I give it, and I, and I appreciate that the company doesn't want me to get sick, it doesn't want me to get other people sick, I mean, 
I, I don't know when our non-on-air people, um, I, I have no idea when they're coming back, and, and it's probably going to be later rather than sooner. My guess is that's true of, of a lot of different businesses that are out there, and then there, there's all these different rules that are in place and these things, and it, it's designed to, again, the business doesn't want employees to get sick and doesn't want other people to get sick. I mean, I just I just don't see how you're going to be able to do it in, in two months, which is why it is unfortunate but you just look at all these things. Uh, the summer of 2020, starting to shape up, is it, just a lost cause. So we'll, you know, we'll we'll see. Maybe people are ho- holding up hope, and maybe Kathleen O'Leary has this great idea. I, I just, with all due respect, I just don't see how it, it's going to. I don't see it's how it's going to happen. And and again, I think State Fair is going to become the latest casualty of COVID-19 in the summer of 2020. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.